as hard as I can do it. Uh, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Teen It Up. I'm your host, Connor. I'm here, as always, a little later this week, my good co-host, Mr. Vladimir. Vladdy, what's going on since we last talked? Um, in the social aspect, not much. I mean, it was a cool weekend of sports. Our, our team lost, as, as we all know, we're at Michigan State. But, no, the big news for me was uh, earlier this week, my boss kind of came, uh, came to talk to me. And I, I was a little nervous because out of nowhere, he was like, hey, man, can I talk to you for a minute? And I was like, I started preparing the note cards. I'm like, oh, well, like, what do you want to say to me? What's what's happening here? Oh, no. And then oh, note cards? No, I mean, you know, kind of the political talk. Like what? No, it's, you know, I'm talking mental note cards. You know, like, like what, what are my talking points? What am I sticking to? It's a joke. I mean, I didn't do anything wrong. But I mean, <laughs> anytime he's like asked to do that before, he's just kind of throwing me on a new project. What but, is you make a flashcard? What is your name? Laddie. <laughs> <laughs> In case you but, forgot. Yeah, no, but so for those for those who don't know, uh, I have been a contractor at my job at General Dynamics, and uh, it wasn't some kind of let's say formal offer where he handed me the packet, but he did ask me if I would be interested in becoming a direct full time salaried employee, which is uh, which I'm happy about. That's hopefully there's snap it up for Vladdy. Thank you, thank you. Hopefully there's a little bit of a pay increase with that. Um, not really sure if there will be, but um. I'm just kind of excited, you know, maybe there's a little bit more, hopefully there's a little bit more responsibility. Now I'm finally allowed to go to the office Christmas party down in downtown Detroit. I'm excited. <laughs> but yeah. no, I mean, other than, other than getting that, like, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to call it a promotion because nothing about my job is actually going to change. It's just now general dynamics will be paying me, not my contract house. So call it a pseudo promotion. But what about you? How, how have you been the last kind of week and a half? It has been a minute since we talked. Yeah, not not too much. Um, just rocking and rolling as usual. Um, doing the law school thing—that's still a thing in the last nine days. Uh, now that it's November too, it is like kind of crunch time, and it definitely you can definitely feel that. And I definitely should have been preparing outlines probably a little earlier. Um, so I'm definitely feeling that crunch because those will have to be done like probably before the end of class and you get two weeks and then finals. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely, uh, it's definitely getting the crunch time here. It is weird because even finals for undergrad, I study for, you know, at max two or three days before the exam. You know, it's weird to study for, I mean, I started studying a week or two ago for exams in like the third week of December. So that's a little different. Um, but that's about it. It's nothing too crazy right now. Lots to talk about today, so enough about the boring adult lives that we live Monday through Friday. Um, but uh, I think I want to start with the World Series. Just get that out of the way quickly before we get into some more yep. in-depth stuff that the people want to hear. It's currently uh, two games to two. Game six is going to be played tonight. Justin Verlander is on the bump. I believe he is going against... I want to say it's Nola Knight again. This is the big pitching matchup. Uh, no, it's Syndergaard. Okay. So I was wrong. Uh, so uh, some stories. Game one last Friday was absolutely electric. Uh, the Phillies came back from a 5 nothing um, deficit. Justin Verlander was, I believe, perfect for four. And then the fifth inning gave up five runs. So that one went extra innings, and that was a super good thriller. I had money on that. Um, everybody rides Connor. 
that's a weird sentence to say out loud. Maybe I should change that. No, but, uh, change it. Anyways, last night, fast forward to last night, uh, the Phillies get no hit. So obviously this is kind of, there's been a weird series and then it really has looked like, oh my God, the Phillies are just going to dominate and take this thing over. And then it, it, there was games like last night where it looks like, wow, the Astros are just one of the best teams we've seen in the last decade. So there's kind of been a back and forth of that. And, you know, it could go either way. I, I really could see it going either way. I could see it, it's going to come down to, obviously, tonight in Game 5 uh, is going to be huge. And I think that's mostly because that's probably going to be the last time you see Verlander pitch. And whether or not that's choke job, Verlander, or it's the pitcher uh, through the first four innings that we saw in Game 1, uh, will play a large role in how the rest it's of the season. It's going to be the choke job, Verlander, because Justin Verlander is the worst pitcher in World Series history. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, he's been dominant all year. He was he's been perfect. dominant all year and other years when he went to the World Series. That doesn't change the fact that he can't do it. Biggest DRA in World Series history. And I don't even yeah, think it's, it's particularly close if I remember reading this, the, the numbers. Yeah, no, he just – and I felt bad because it started off just like loops and kind of weird bounces, not like errors or anything, but just kind of some – some fortunate and good at bats like Cassianos had a nice two strike at bat where he just kind of poked his boat at, boat at, bat at, and kind of just stuff like that happening. But it wasn't like he was giving up. Eventually, he did give up some big hits. But the Phillies are just a team that are never going to die, and they've proven that through four games or five games, four games. So I think that's that's all we need for the World Series. We can move on to uh, the college football world. That's yeah, let's um going to college football. I think maybe we start with some of the smaller storylines. We get to the big one for on and off field reasons later. But I I, I just kind of want to start with Ohio State, Penn State. Um, first of all, uh, like I think I said this last time, screw Fox for screwing us out of a uh, out of the whiteout game, number two against number thirteen or I think whatever it was. So the the numbers that that has to be a whiteout. It's at Penn State. Like you need you need the atmosphere. Um, they I think they still got to in there though for a noon game. Oh yeah, I don't know if you were, like halftime when Penn State was up. Oh yeah, I mean they're very loyal fans. There's nothing else to do in the middle of that state. I don't blame them. Um, it's just that it was it was a great strike the stadium. It's not like Michigan State where you have that that clown who wants to be seen on TV wearing red or something. Everyone there participates in what they're supposed to do. It's it's really impressive. But uh, on the actual for that the actual on field stuff, um. It was a very close game. You know, Penn State was kind of up going into the fourth quarter, playing their kind of game. Defense kind of – the Stroud actually looked kind of rattled for about three quarters of that game. Um, it looked like he was making some throws a little bit purried. Maybe he, he was hearing footsteps or just that, that internal clock was going off. But looked like he was kind of missing some throws. And there's a couple times, I think, where he just didn't even feel the pressure. I mean, once, especially at the end of the – first half where he got the strip sack and Ohio State missed out on some points. Um, there was a couple other times where yeah, he just, just looked like Peyton Thorne in the pocket with no presence. But um, the, the overarching story is Ohio State did what Ohio State usually does, and that's they find that next gear, that next step that other teams just don't have. And I think they score like 30 points in six minutes or something between like three play, or three play drives, one play drives, pick sixes. It was just, just a buzzsaw. And it's just, it's just like that stereotypical kind of OSU way of 
if you can't score 35 points on us, you're not going to beat us. Yeah, it's like you said, it's another game where they're you know, 44 this time. It feels like every week you watch them put up 45, 48, 52, 45, 42. Um, it doesn't seem like any team in this country really has an answer to that. So it's like you said, it's who can score with them. I don't know. Penn State, to me, not performances. Maybe they're not as bad as we thought. Um, I know they it got out of hand two weeks prior against Michigan, but they did play them tough first half. Like, I do think they're a good team. I do think they're going to kill us in three weeks. Um, yeah, I can see that. But, but it, let's get into the bigger story as far as college football goes. Yeah, um, um, Michigan, Michigan State. Uh, Michigan State covers. Great teams, they seven. cover. The great teams cover. Half. Michigan State finds a way to lose by 22. Jake Moody scores, uh, what was it, 15, 15 of the 29? Just like um, he did last year. Yeah, just the game. It really wasn't that interesting of a game, and it was like this, and it wasn't like an onslaught. It was just kind of like, up by six at the half. It felt like if Michigan State could do or get a stop to start the half, then they'd be fine. No, like it was a field goal, and then it was kind of a, a touchdown in there, and then field goal, field. Like it was just kind of a gradual and slow beatdown, which I guess is probably more than. I think. I mean, yeah. We were always overmatched. I mean, we kind of – we joked about it last week. It's like, oh, like uh, Michigan State won, Michigan State straight up. Like, we – I never actually believe that. They're a more talented team. They play a style that completely suffocates you. Blake Corum, second and six, third and two, first and ten, try again. If you don't stop them running the ball, you can't. Um, other than that, though, it's just I would I, – I, my disappointment was, first of all, Let's say a big shout out to the defense. The defense played amazing, holding them to five field goals. They kept us in the game as long as they possibly could. I mean, I remember we were together watching the game. We were out and second half, I think we were down maybe two scores at that time. But I was like, hey, man, it's only a two score game and we have the ball. Like you score a touchdown, it's a three point game and then they get nervous. But our issues were on the offensive end, moving the football. We were we were terrible. Uh, I don't know what planet Jay Johnson was on. Um, his little let's let's do a halfback dive, let's do a halfback dive, and then let's throw some pass. Like let let's roll Peyton Thorn out, let's throw some pass. I mean, the most success Michigan State had was on that drive where uh, Keon Coleman mossed uh, two Michigan DBs. I think on back to back plays, or maybe there was one in between. But he went up there, made a couple great catches, and then they never went back to him, which I didn't understand. It's like this is the first thing you've had that's worked, and this is the one way you were going to beat Michigan because you can't run the ball on them because your offensive line sucks and their defensive line is good, which was perfectly evidenced by on the fourth and one play at the Michigan five. I think we're down seven to 10 at that point. And I don't, I don't hate going for it. As a matter of fact, I like it. You're playing a better team. You're, you're not going to beat Michigan kicking field goals on the road. You won't. No, no, you're not going to, but taking your boy Stone over Moody. My my boy is not Stone. My boy is Ben Patton. I mean, I am I'm taking my boy Ben Patton over anybody. The issue is this: you're not going to get into a position to kick field goals every time. They probably will. That that's what I mean is you got to score seven points every time down the field playing on the road against a team like Michigan. 
And I, I like the aggressiveness. What I hated was this play call. Some halfback draw, some delayed handoff. Like, how can you think to yourself and say the offensive line is probably the worst part of my team? Actually, maybe the secondary. But the offensive line is the worst part of my team. Michigan's defensive line is very good. One of their top maybe two or three groups that they have at that at that team. Let's run a delayed handoff. Our, I don't know who I don't know if it was Berger or Bruce Sardin or, or even Elijah Collins. Our running back was tackled before he even had the ball in his hands. Like, like you've got and this is the one thing I've always like, and that argument I've always just wondered is if you've got a quarterback who's not a statue, like Peyton Thorne can move. He he's no he's not a track star, but he can move. You can put him in a situation to make the de- defense gamble. Why would you not roll him out? Why would you not run some read option? Why would you not do something where you utilize the fact that this guy can move the other team's defense around? At the very least, why not run a normal, a normal halfback dive and let him jump over the pile? Not, yeah, not let's give let's give our weakest unit. Let's make them have to block for us a, a half second, whatever longer, when they're already struggling with that first second in general, getting that first push in general. So I agree there. The only play that ever worked was the Keon Col- was the jump ball at Keon Coleman. Yep. Um, don't let him play basketball, as we don't recently mentioned jokingly. Don't. Um, that kid's that kid's headed for the league soon. He's, if you he's keep a football him away player. From the court. He's a receiver. But um, no. After that, though, this is the unfortunate thing where kind of everyone's been talking about this, and I guess rightly so is the the tunnel incident afterwards. Um. Honestly, I don't actually want to spend too much time on this because I don't think, first of all, all the facts aren't out yet. Law enforcement's still doing their job considering they've been brought into it. And I just don't think there's really that much to say that hasn't already been said. I mean, from the, we'll start with the Michigan side because there's, there's less blame here. You've now had three tunnel incidents in your last three big games at the big house. And I know this is where, like, the Michigan, Mich- old, old man Michigan fan yelling at the clouds is like, well, we've played football here since 1820, before the Civil War. But guess what? I'm not saying no – one, no one's saying you have to go build a second tunnel on the other side of the stadium. What needs to be done is figure out a way to separate the teams. Don't just have the empty tunnel. Whether that be with a line of troopers, whether that be with a whether that be with a gate that just goes from floor to ceiling, so once you are in your side, you can no longer physically reach the other side. Like, and the other thing is, this doesn't have to be some permanent fix. Make it movable if you want, because when you play Illinois or you play Hawaii or your Ann Arbor Pioneers, since I know Michigan loves to schedule high school teams, when you play those guys, you probably don't need it because they're not going to try and punch you. Because they they have no rivalry with you. They never think they can beat you because they are inferior. But when you play a team, Michigan State, Penn State, if they ever bring back the Notre Dame series, if Michigan ever decides to schedule a Power 5 school with a home-and-home and and they actually show up to the big house, if you ever do anything like that, maybe have a little bit more security. I think I saw in the videos there's like one police officer there for like 100 players walking into the tunnel. It's like, what's he going to do? Add on that part. I mean, there's the there's that there's the tunnel, and then there's the the skip, the actual skipping and in, in the yeah. What's the, yeah? What's number, what's number one doing? Like, uh, I mean, you could say that all you want, and I agree with it, and that's what I I've started all my conversations with. Like, is the is well, let's let's get this out of the way because 
this should have some com- kind of contribution towards what the end opinion is. But at the end of the day, I don't think it changes the overall conclusion in that the bad, the bad things that happen in the tunnel, the, the swinging at the helmets, yeah. the, you know, six, seven, eight guys on one um, is inexcusable and is the worst and darkest day Mel Tucker era so far. Not only did you, I know you weren't supposed to beat them, and I don't. Did you see the like Valenis? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I actually, uh, as someone that wasn't a Michigan State fan for D'Antonio, like uh, doesn't really apply to me. But I still like. I don't care. The one down season to me. It, it's so mute when you haven't beaten a single team. You've beaten two pylon teams and Wisconsin in overtime. This is more than a down year. This is more than this is more than what's happening on the field now. So take your pictures with the scary dogs or whatever. But you're losing recruits. You're now in the media for the wrong things. It is everything that could go wrong with the season. And I'm not saying that it's like it's done for the Tucker era. Because it's not, you've unfortunately paid him too too much money for it to be done, and I'm not saying that he can't turn around and actually, because he has so far compared to what D'Antonio was giving us recruit wise at the end of his tenure. But it's 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 in a low point, and I, I, like I'm gonna give him a chance, but that doesn't change the fact of how low this. Yeah, no, I. I agree. I completely agree. The one thing I do want to say is uh, I saw uh, it was Joel Klatt talking about this is we can't get lost in the fact that this wasn't some entire team doing something. This was four, five, eight guys. This, I mean, you got you got 90 kids on a team. This is not Mel Tucker systematically running a Sean Payton bribery saying, hey, go headhunt and I'll give you a check. I'm not saying that, and I'm not. I'm just saying, like, at, like you have to answer, like, at, it's it's your program, yeah, unfortunately. No, I, I agree, and, and I know that that's not how he runs his program. I know that's not how he wants his program to look. But unfortunately, when those things happen, it's, yep. And no, and in, in terms of like, I guess in terms of punishments, like, what would you say is fair? Whoever was swinging the helmets, thrown off the team, doesn't play again, and whoever was just part of it is suspended for the year. I mean, is that something that simple? I mean, what what else would you do? It's interesting because, like, at three and five now, the season doesn't matter at all. So, like, who cares if they're all even? the rest of the year get them get them in the weight room for next year um but i I don't know i think i think even if you're in the seven on one video you're done for the year in my opinion i don't think you're done for i think it's one of those things where you're not you're kicked off this team as in this year i don't think you're kicked out of the program for exiled yeah that's what i'm saying is if listen if you're swinging the helmet no place for that 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 is assault that that is a weapon at that point but if you're if you're sitting there and you're in a scuffle there there's scuffles all the time there's there's players who get into trouble all the time and they get suspended for much less the fact that it was a 
group situation. It wasn't just one guy slamming one fan or another player that makes it worse. And that's probably why those kids will be suspended for the rest of the year, maybe. But I think that's probably a kind of a fair statement is if you were in that, if you were a participant, take the pads off until 2023. If you're the one swinging the helmet, if you're the, the, the big perpetrator that law enforcement's looking for, see you at JUCO, man. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how else to say it. But it's also interesting because, like, Miles Garrett did it on the on the field in front of sixty thousand people. Yep, but that's the NFL. That's different. Yeah, it's just so. I don't know. It, the swing of the helmet is, like I said, it's got to be. Enforcement is investigating it, and they should be. It's assault. Um, you have got a weapon with intent to damage, whether you know it it's or not. It's not assault. It's actually battery. Oh, that's true. Assault is a threat, right? I I can't hear you right now. You're kind of cutting out. Assault is the imminent apprehension of fear of, or imminent apprehension. Well, it's not fear. Imminent apprehension of danger to like your. Basically, you're you're immediately afraid of that battery is about to happen. Ah, uh, okay. I mean, I mean, I'm assuming that guy probably feared for battery about to happen. So. Yeah, that's why. That's why it's usually assault and battery. Yeah, that's because like you, well, so, you can usually. Well, so, so I know you're law guy. Let's say if you were sleeping and I came up there with like you just like beat you over the head with a rock, would that be just battery because you were asleep and you're never in fear? Yeah. Bang, guys. How would I, exactly, I would have never known. It's assault it does take into the mind of like what a reasonable person. It's just intentional infliction of bodily bodily contact, mm-hmm. which is battery. Yeah. But all right, enough about that. Um, because I, I don't want to that that there's really not much else to say. Right. Yeah, let's uh let's move on to the NFL. Uh, we can start Lions. Um, I'd say maybe, maybe. Just, yeah, let's just start Lions. Let's keep let's keep this a little bit more of a local show. Let's talk Lions, their, their actual game, and then let's talk Lions. What happened during the trade deadline after? But um, so the game itself, you know, started out pretty well. Jumped out to a. I remember correctly, jumped into a quick one over Miami. They were kind of playing catch up the entire first half. It was we score, they score, but we had one more score than they had. And so, I mean, it was, it was a pretty, there was, it was almost, I don't want to say flawless, but it was a great game. You were, you were sitting there and the offense wasn't punting. The defense, I think, made that one stop when Kirby Joseph hit whoever it was. I don't know if it was, uh, I don't know who, I don't know what receiver he hit, but Kirby Joseph forced that fumble and went down the other way, kind of took that two possession lead. And then they were kind of playing from behind the rest of the first half, but then it was kind of that stereotypical Lions kind of mantra of this season, which is don't score points in the second half and don't stop the other team in the second half. So you want to know a fun fact? The Detroit Lions have not scored a point in the second half of a football game since September. Point. What? 
I think three because we had the bye week, but the principles there. It's supposed. I say September because it makes it seem much worse. Um, yeah, you had you had the, obviously the New England game where you didn't score any points, so you can't really score it in the second half. You never scored one at all. The Dallas game, you uh, scored a couple, you kicked a couple field goals, and you did nothing. Then you went on a bye week, and then you didn't score in the second half again. It's that exact same thing that we've always done. We always do where one isn't like one side of the ball plays well, the other side doesn't. Then the other side will flip and play well. The other side won't. Sometimes none of the sides will play good. And God forbid we ever. About that is Dan Campbell like that, or well, I'll say that Dan Campbell's team this year that's so unlike the Lions, like years of us watching them, and that they're the classic go down huge and then get your hopes up and then either come back and give us something crazy or come back and still lose by a touchdown after being down by 21. That's kind of how they rolled for a while, and it is interesting to see now it's just the complete opposite. Yeah, no, I mean, the one thing that's nice is um, there wasn't some stereotype. Like, the stereotypical Lions moment, quote-unquote, was the entire second half. It's not like, oh, Jared Goff is marching down the field, and then here's a delay of game, here's a holding, and now we're looking at first and 40, and we have to punt. It was just the entire second half sucked. It wasn't like a – it wasn't a one one-time thing where the referees make up a new rule on the spot. It wasn't a – bad spot or it wasn't a bad bounce with a fumble or a whatever it's just the team is team's bad I mean Hutchinson was a ghost again um I mean Paschal looked all right Kirby Joseph looks pretty good I mean he's had he's had some good tackles obviously had the hit stick fumble but I I mean I'm kind of tired of talking about the players because like what I say all right, and like I mean all right by Detroit Lions standard. I don't mean by a league standard, which is just disappointing that we get to, we get to play by our own standard that's fifty feet below the rest of the leagues. But I don't know. There's only so much we can talk. I mean, there's we're not even halfway through the season, but there's only so much that we can say. Is well, or who plays bad in a given game? I think. Um, you know how we feel about Dan Campbell. I think that's pretty clear. Let's get into the trade talk. Because I think that's a little more interesting yeah. for the Lions' sake as we kind of look towards their future already. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, let, let me, yeah, big thing was the Hawkinson trade. Um, there were rumors of more afterwards, but nothing actually came from it. It was just TJ Hawkinson and while I don't necessarily fully hate the trade because TJ Hawkinson was going to command a sum of money that he probably wasn't worth, I don't like the return. I don't like that you sent it to a divisional opponent. And I'm not necessarily – and it's just I, – I don't know. It's There's good and bad to it. I'll kind of – I'll let you go a little bit, and then maybe I'll make up my mind in this couple of minutes while you're talking. Oh, the, the division rival was a great point because I always thought that, thought that was kind of a huge no-no as far as the NFL went in trades in general, because they don't really do any transactions in the league in general. Like there was, it, I we were saying before we hopped on how it was a crazy NFL trade deadline. And it was only 10 moves. That's not yeah. the same in other NFL sports. record, 10 trades. And it's like, that's like, that's like a, that's like a Tuesday during the NBA season. But, right. but at the same time, it's, 
it's a non-necessary position that you really do, does it really matter that you have a top 10 tight end as opposed to just an average show tight end there's maybe three or four that make a massive difference tj yep. hawkinson's tj hawkinson is a nice player and is but is not a game breaker as far as that tight tight ends are kind of like running backs there's three or four that are absolute great game breakers that can actually win you a game every week Mm-hmm. TJ Hawkinson is not one of those three or four. He's a yep. top 10 tight end. He's a nice player. He's a good player, but he's not that game breaker to where you say, to where you're in the in the mode to be paying a tight end that kind of money right yeah. now. He, you're I, not. I mean, you, you save that kind of money for a team that is, you know, 500 right now, that has the cap space, that, you know, need maybe missed the playoffs or lost in the first round that needs that one more piece. That's that's where you get a good tight end like TJ Hawkinson. Yep. Not when you're one and six and and you're gonna it's gonna be two or three years before you even reap the benefits of him, which who knows uh, in the game of football whether he's that good. And as the return you say a second and a fifth it was, right? It was a second and a third, however we didn't actually necessarily gain those because we also traded picks. So, like, that's the one thing I think a lot of people lost. They're like, oh, well, we got a second and a third out of Hawkinson. It's like, no, you didn't because you also traded away two fourth-round picks. So what you actually did is you moved up 30 spots once. Actually, not even 30 because the pick that you sent them is going to suck. So you moved up about 40 spots the first time, going from a fourth to a second, which will be an early fourth to a late second. and then. You moved up 20 spots to go from a early fourth to a late third because the Vikings will probably be good again next year. So you didn't even necessarily – you did pick swaps. You didn't gain picks. You still have the same amount that you're going to have in the next two years because I know what – I think the, the, the extra – the once here, here I go again saying extra. That second-round pick that we got is 23 and the third-round pick is 24. You didn't actually gain picks. You moved up with the other picks. I think like okay, if it was a second and a third straight up without the moving picks, I actually think that's a lot for a good I don't think uh, uh, that, dude, that I was build, in a contract. I, build Brad, I would build Brad statue myself. I mean, because again, first of all, you have to factor in tight ends should never be even drafted in the first round. So you can make the argument you can take with that second round pick. You can probably take the first or second best tight end prospect in college with that. You can, and so. It's just, it's disappointing. I, the other thing that I, I think is a little bit, not that really changes anything, but TJ Hawkinson was not a pick that Brad Holmes made. He was not a guy that, uh, I'm not going to say, he thought that he didn't want because, again, like we just said, he is a good player. You would want him on a team that's contending. But he, he, is, he, wasn't, he wasn't adopted. He wasn't chosen by this regime. So it was, it was, it's, it's still to me, it's like, to the casual fan on the outset, you look and go, we just draft – this guy's good, uh, one of our best offensive players, and we drafted him eighth overall, and, like, we got a second and swapped ten yeah. spots for, for a second pick for him. Like, that doesn't really make sense. But, I mean, I'm going to get a first for any tight end not named Kittle, Pitts, those four. I don't think you're not going to you're not going to get a first for any tight end for that. You might not even get a first for them because I mean Kelsey's thirty three, Kittle's pushing thirty, um, and Mark Andrews is probably close to thirty now. I think Mark um, Andrews might be thirty. Yeah. 
So, I mean, even then, you might not even get a first-round pick. No, it's just because tight ends aren't worth first-round picks because they don't impact the game enough. And so the other thing is I think tight end is a little bit of a – I don't want to call it a dying position, but to me, I was talking about this with with one of my coworkers at lunches. Tight end is one of those positions that used to be great because – the, the game was a little bit more run-based, and if you had a guy that could also block but in the play action could set up with a block and then check down behind the defense, that play was a lot more dangerous. Whereas these days, receivers are more prevalent because you've got guys operating in three, four wide outs. You don't really have the tight end lining up next to the, the line of scrimmage anymore unless you're Kittle because that's just the way San Francisco plays. But, you you it's, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a position that has less and less use because you just don't have like now tight ends it's like oh i'm gonna block a bit for my quarterback and then i'm gonna run a five yard dig route or gonna do a nice little out route if they're it's not you're not sending them on these it it's just i think it's like you said it's a luxury position right to me the game has kind of gotten into the receivers you either have the big deep ball guy or you have the speedster down the field guy and tight ends to me are just big not necessarily deep ball, but big are just your big body receiver now. Like Kyle Pitts, you don't look at him and go, "Oh man, that's a tight end that's going to run you yeah, over." He, exactly. he looks like a, a just a bigger, or just a bigger receiver. Yeah. So that's kind of what the the positions become. Um, so, that's what we were talking about. Anything yeah, else you want to highlight? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I actually haven't gotten to this most the scariest part of that trade. For me, the scariest part of that trade is what it actually means going forward. We've we've put this on the record. We hate Dan Campbell. He is a paint can. He's a poser. He continues. He does. He sits here and goes, like, oh, "We're close, man. We have grit, man." It's like, are you close? You are on the way to probably being like six twenty-seven and one. Are are you close? So. Say, he's like that one friend. Him saying you're close is like that one friend that's like, oh, I'm like right around the corner. I'm almost there, and they're just putting on their yeah. shoes to leave. That's a that's a perfect example. And the thing that scares me again, that I actually didn't say it is the thing that scares me is this might mean he comes back. Uh, like you, if if you're a coach, and like maybe maybe this is obviously he didn't trade, and Brad Holmes does this, so maybe this means Brad Holmes has more leeway, and hopefully we can get into this. But if you're a coach who's coaching for his life, if there's a fire under your seat. You don't trade away players who will help you win for picks. That's something you do when you're safe and you have a long-term plan. And if that that to me almost signifies that maybe Dan Campbell is going to go into year three with a in Sheila Hamp Ford's eyes, a record of zero and zero, which just should not be allowed. Because that guy is going to be, like I said, five twenty-seven or six and twenty-five. That is or five six and twenty-six. That is not something that's okay. That is unacceptable. The NFL is built for winning games. I'm not going to say a lot of games, but it's it's parody. It's not college. Everybody's a professional, and it's a sport where on any given Sunday, anyone can beat anybody. The fact that he's going to sit there and probably get year three and probably even year four after that, because if you're doing all this bottoming out, you're not going to do it just so that you draft a rookie quarterback and and then fire Dan Campbell next thing. Oh, my God, if we do that, I'm going to lose my mind in 12 months. Because, like, that is the ultimate mess up. That's when you have a Justin Fields situation when, like, you draft a rookie QB and he's now playing as a tryout for the next regime. Like, in an in yeah. idealistic world, 
if this trade means that Brad Holmes has the power to fire Dan Campbell, bring in his own guy, because he didn't pick Campbell. They got hired together, but he didn't pick him. It, it didn't go GM, head coach, quarterback. It went GM, head coach, and they were given some quarterback. If this means that Dan Campbell can get fired, and then with two first-round picks, two second-round picks, two we might have two third-round picks with an extra Rams pick. I don't even remember off the top of my head. I mean, I think I was looking at it when now that we don't have to pay Hawkinson's fifth year option, we've got like 60, 70 million in cap space. You are going to be telling whatever coach you have, you have the number one or the number two overall pick. It is a, I don't want to call it attractive because at the end of the day, it's the Detroit Lions, but it is a head coaching job that has a lot of toys for a coach to come play with. So if that's what this means, okay, I'm not happy about it because it just means that that Brad Holmes wasted two years of our lives watching football. But at least that there might be some silver lining that he's gone. But if he comes back, just Lord save us. And so I know I just gave a sermon. I actually under your head does he is Dan Campbell coaching on Sundays this time next year? Gun to my head. <laughs> Do I have to say what I hope or what I or what I think? Uh, let's say yes. I think that Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell somehow convinced Sheila that you need 18 years to rebuild something in the NFL. I think they somehow convinced her that this, this isn't Nebraska or Wisconsin or Miami or Texas in college. Or no, they convinced her that it is and that you need time. Which is funny because if Sheila opened up her eyes and actually knew what football was and saw the Giants, the Falcons, the Seahawks, the Jets, which we, we, we're we going to continue to talk about it every week as they keep winning football games. If she opened her eyes and saw what those guys are doing in a rebuild, then maybe maybe she would feel differently. But again, she's she's not a part of life. She's never done anything. She, she I mean, it's just... Whatever. They convince her it's like raising a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. All right. So, Sheila, in year one, we have to breastfeed it. That means anything that's old, we're just going to get rid of it. We're going to get picks. And then in year two, we're going to teach it how to walk. Then, or other good players. <laughs> then we're going to get rid of everything old again. And then, Sheila, you know what's going to happen in year three? We're going to potty train it. It's like, that's, I love that analogy. Yeah. I love that. It's going to be like, you're, you're, you're like 12 or 13. It's going to be like, this This team's winning like seven, eight games. And they're going to hit puberty and hit hit their awkward middle school phase and go back and lose. Be like a four or five win team again. Oh, no. And they'll still be there. We're close, man. We have grit. Dan Campbell's going to be showing up to press conferences with his little motorcycle helmet. Yeah, he's gonna. I actually genuinely think like, no matter what happens, he's here next year. And as long as they don't like aren't a top three draft pick team the year next year, he's back for a year four. I genuinely think that's how the Lions are gonna go. Barring some incredible improvement next year, if Dan Campbell is coaching football in twenty twenty four for the Lions, I might actually join Brian Flores' lawsuit in this whole NFL is racist thing. Because if Dan Campbell wasn't white, he would not have a job. It's just, I can't with it. It's, 
it's so annoying. I mean, again, like I said, you see these teams who win games and they, they play close games. It's like, uh, look at the Panthers. If DJ Moore doesn't take off his helmet, they win. They win another football game. But they are, I believe, tied for first place if they win that game. Yeah, but that's because their division blows. If if they had a Minnesota Vikings, it's they would not be first place. Yeah, the Lions haven't hey, sniffed first place. When's hey, the last time the Lions have sniffed first place? I no hey, hold then. on no wait 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 wait. We were tied for first place at the end of week two because we were one and one with the rest of our division. Say that again. Sorry. Yeah, back when there was hope coming off some dominating performance against the Washington Commanders, Aiden Hutchinson looked like the real deal with three sacks in a football game. The offense was flowing. The defense was playing football. The vibes were immaculate. And then we actually played a road game, and it's like, oh, wow, this is the NFL, isn't it? Scary part, too, is like that was like the easy part of the schedule, so it's like – Actually, I was looking at this. I don't know if real if it really is because I mean, towards the end of the season, I'm pretty sure if I if I remember correctly, we play Panthers, Jags, Jets, Giants in the last couple games. So like, though, like again, not teams with not a lot of talent, teams with not no quarterback. So like, those are winnable games. That's the other thing that's gonna be funny is we're gonna sit there and we're gonna be like one in nine going into Thanksgiving with like a clear grasp on the number one pick. And then in full Lions fashion, they're gonna win four games that they shouldn't when we're gonna drop down to like the fourth pick. And it's gonna be like, well, you just lost out on Anderson and both quarterbacks. Good job. Here's Jalen Carter. And obviously it's a pretty good consolation prize. He's a stud, but I digress. Well, there's problem. What you said is uh, on Thanksgiving, if they're one in nine. They're gonna be one and ten. They play the Bills. Oh well, then they'll they'll finish f- fine, five and twelve. Let them finish five and twelve and win their way into a, a four, the number four pick, and then maybe we'll take Will Levis, the Matthew Stafford man. Have you seen those comps? They compare him to. Yeah, I, I've seen the Will Levis is the Matthew Stafford draft, and it's like, yeah, that's what we need. Another one of those here. Huh? Say that again. I would take Stafford. Run. I just think it's the Lions more than Stafford. Obviously, he won a Super Bowl last year. That's because Jaquiski Tart forgot that he had opposable thumbs. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, do we want to cover the rest of the deadline? Um, I know uh, there were, obviously, like we said, there was. Uh, by the NFL standards, there's a lot of move do we, moves. Do we want to at least cover maybe the other couple big ones, quote-unquote? What? I can't hear you. Off. Yes, I, I heard you now. Yeah, we, we can rattle them off. I mean, you had the Colts and the Bills, um, quick little swap of running backs. The Zach Moss and a pick were sent to Indianapolis. Indianapolis sent over uh, – Naheem Hines, which I don't necessarily fully understand that because the Bills drafted James Cook as a pass-catching back, and then they went and traded for a pass-catching receiver. A pass-catching receiver. They're all pass-catching receivers, but a pass-catching back in Naheem Hines, one of the better ones in the league up there with J.D. McKissick. But um, 
that, I mean, it, that that's just kind of the signification of kind of what the, the future is with the NFL, where it's kind of that, like nuclear or like that arms race where it's like, I need as many weapons as possible and I'll trade as many picks as possible because if, it, if I win one Super Bowl, it's all worth it. Um, you had uh, the Dolphins. The Dolphins were active. The Dolphins were active. They dealt Chase Edmonds to Denver, I believe. And then everyone was like, oh, Raheem Mostert, great for his fantasy football stock. And then, like, 20 minutes later, Jeff Wilson has been traded to the Dolphins. And then, obviously, we haven't talked about the big one. They sent the 49ers first-round pick in this upcoming draft to the Broncos in another deal. Actually, I think Chase Edmonds was part of that deal, if I'm thinking about it now. But Bradley Chubb was kind of the big mover, that big pass rush. Um, They're going to pair him with Jalen Phillips. They've got they've got two stud they've got two stud edge rushers. They've got some good secondary pieces. I know the Dolphins are banged up, but um, I, I know. I mean, you know me. I'm a I've been a Tua defender since the uh, since the draft days. I actually really wanted the Lions to draft Tua instead of Jeff Okuda, but as we said before, when you have a coach who's on the hot seat with a fire under him. You're not going to draft someone who's going to help you win later. You're going to do stuff to win now, and that's why we took Okuda at three in 2019 or 20, whatever it was. But Tua thing, they haven't lost with them yet. So Tua is that's the other thing I was going to get into that. Tua Tagovailoa is five and zero in games that he or he might be six and zero depending on whatever their record is. He is undefeated in games that he started and finished. He obviously got knocked out of the Bengals game. They lost in the next two games. It was like a combo of Bridgewater and Skylar Thompson, which you're not winning many games with Skylar Thompson, but you are correct. I mean, he just plays. He's such an accurate passer. He's, he's very intuitive with where to throw the ball, what window to see, where to lead his receivers. I think Waddle and Tyreek Hill are, I think the two receivers that lead the league in yards after catch. Um, I'm pretty sure they're also numbers one and three in overall receiving, which is impressive. Um, it's just their their offense is flowing. They got they got Teron Armstead this offseason, big left tackle. Um, obviously, it doesn't help him as much because with Tua Tagovailoa, you need a right tackle to protect his blind side. But still a great, still a great right top ten to seven left tackle in the league with Teron Armstead. Um, You've obviously got the receivers, Kasiki, as we were talking earlier. You've got you've got a you've got a you got a team that's contending. Get yourself a tight end who can be that complimentary piece. But huh? Off the top of my head, if there was, they weren't big. Oh. That is pretty big. Roquan Smith, yeah. From the Bears to the Rave Bears to the Ravens, Roquan Smith is probably the one A or one B best off ball linebackers in football up there with Fred Warner. Um I think I remember we were talking about this in one of the preseason episodes where kind of read out some stats. And right now he is on pace, stats wise, obviously. And I I, I kind of hate just lim- like kind of limiting these two players to statistics, but he is currently on pace to put up the same numbers in his career as Ray Lewis. Ray Lewis is one of the best middle linebackers ever, and Roquan Smith's on pace to do that. So, I mean, he's a he's a great get for Baltimore. Um, I'm assuming they'll have a deal done with him because you don't trade for Roquan Smith just to let him walk in a free agency. Um, 
did. Now, okay, so interesting you say that. Uh, perfect deal for a team that needed some kind of – like I'd say the Ravens are contenders if they can figure yes. out consistent defensive yes. play. So it makes sense. As far as setting the future, uh, Lamar Jackson – issue when you're going to have to pay him as probably they'll probably have to pay Roquan Smith probably the best linebacker deal ever that's just how the market works and then you're going to have to pay Lamar Jackson I mean he turned down six years 209 million I think it was uh so you'll have to give him something north of 40 maybe 45 so yeah the money is going to quickly disappear in Baltimore um Obviously, we all know the salary cap doesn't actually exist. There's there's restructures, there's cutting, there's this and that. You know, they'll make it work just because they've got a team of people whose job it is to figure out how we can maneuver the cap. They'll just they'll just borrow the Rams guys and they'll figure it out. But I mean, you know, it's just yeah, the money it'll start to get tight in Baltimore. I did a division that I mean. Who knows what the Browns will look like while Deshaun comes back? The Bengals, like, are they? Maybe I mean, last with, year was a fluke. I I said this in the off season, especially now with no Jamar Chase, they look very mortal. They look very. So, like, I mean, it's the time is now. It's you know it's a smart play. I mean, you win yourself a division, you get a home game. Baltimore is known for some pretty good fans. They can get very loud. Win that game? Why not take your chances against a team like Buffalo or Kansas City? Why not? Who? Why not? Yeah, it's one game. I've watched. I've watched the Houston Texans come within a couple of plays of beating the Chiefs in the playoffs. Why not? You got listen. You can't win the Super Bowl if you don't make the playoffs. So why not sit there and give yourself a very why not give yourself a very good chance to make the playoffs by winning your division? I don't know. I'm on I'm on fire today. I'm ha- I'm having a what? I I am I I can't hear a word you're saying. Nobody else can, but I am on fire right now. This is I'm putting up Wilt Chamberlain numbers at this at, during this podcast. Now? Yeah, I, just now I can. Yeah, I think it's something with the direction of you that you're like facing towards the microphone, bud. Look at me. I'm getting as close as possible to this thing. And I can hear you now. It's my like mic is just like. I, I thought I had my finger on it, but now I'm not even touching the iPad. So maybe we should actually just like invest in like microphones or something. That might be a good idea. Because I know yeah. I was, I was listening. What? expensive no i mean you can probably get a semi-decent mic for 20 bucks i mean i was i was listening to one of our episodes a couple a couple days ago at work because i was bored and i was like wow i sound like i'm under the ocean maybe like like aaron and vince can like combine their money and buy us mics i'll buy you a mic connor that'd be my christmas present to you Hey, if, hey, if there's a big, if there's a, if there's a nice little raise from General Dynamics, if that, uh, if that pseudo promotion money kicks in, I'll buy you a mic for Christmas. Any day of the week, that's, that's acceptance right there. I'll also buy your family a better router because your Wi-Fi is trash. Doesn't sound like it. 
new Wi-Fi. It's been working a little better, but the Wi-Fi in my house did suck for a while. But now my dad's put a bunch of money on a new router, and it hasn't really gotten any better. So now we're he's worried it's like just an Xfinity thing, which we really can't control. Fair. Um, I mean, uh, we've got Xfinity; it's pretty good for us, so I'm not going to complain. But all right, we are it's we are terrible cell service because uh, I don't I don't think you've seen it, but like behind my sub, there's a old psych war. It was an old ch uh, child psych hospital. And it's That's like awesome. abandoned now, and that used to kind of like really mess up the cell service. But that shouldn't have much to do with Wi-Fi. We need, we need to, we really, really need to bring the psych wards back. I think that'd be awesome. I'd love to visit a psych ward. You know, a little Silence of the Lambs going to see uh, Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, I went like twice in high school. The kid, the kids would go. Some kids would go like every weekend. Um. To the abandoned one? Wild stories out of there. They what? The abandoned one? Oh, Northville's got some fun stuff. Why? Why is it that every time I come over to your guys's uh, to go hang out with you guys, it's hey, let's do, let's let's go to the wagon wheel. It's never let's go to the psych ward. That's awesome. It's not oh. just like the side buildings that aren't as, but there was like people saw like ghosts people saw like hobos oh. with guns people saw the cops in there okay so the second two i believe they didn't see ghosts because ghosts are not real is there a no trespassing sign on this uh, property i assume so but like i've been re i've been like during covid and they they tore down the main building probably when school probably so a while mm -hmm. ago I mean, that'd be kind of fun. The only issue is, like, we're not 18 anymore, so if we get, like, arrested, we can't be tried as kids. So, like, maybe it's not a good idea to, uh, to go trespassing. Innocent. Yeah. They're, they're not They're They're going to see my dumb ass, and it's going to be like, oh, that, that, this kid lock him up. <laughs> We've strayed way too far away from what we should be talking about. I think we got to cut it. Let's... <laughs> I, I've got nothing more to say. I mean, this was a loaded, loaded episode in terms of content. I'm actually, I'm, I'm happy. We're going to be one of our longest ones ever. I think we're kind of nearing the hour mark. And quick preview, we've got a lot of great college football next week. Georgia, Tennessee, Bama, LSU, Clemson, Notre Dame. A lot of it will have playoff implications. There's some doomsday scenarios I've been thinking about. There's some, there's some hypotheticals. There's... There's just some good football to watch. That SEC on CBS 3:30 game with the music. I'm ex I'm excited to watch that. Uh, da, 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 da. I can't believe that that's the one thing your mic decided to work for this episode. Was you going? Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna kind of say to the people. Oh, hold on. As I'm reading this, breaking news, Nets suspend Kyrie Irving for at least five games. Well, maybe you shouldn't be an anti-Semite. Um, to the people, thank you for listening. Thank you for making it through this longer episode. Um, I'm going to say go green and to my partner, Connor, for the last words of the recording. Go play. I mean, let's hope we beat the Illini. <laughs>